When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me. Today, we revisit Captain Archer and the crew of Starfleet's first Warp 5 vessel on Enterprise, Season 1, Strange New World. We're in the mess hall with crewman Elizabeth Cutler, an entomologist, and crewman Ethan Novakovich. She's enjoying, maybe enjoying, some plomeek soup. It's a Vulcan dish. She's studying the termites of Loracus Prime. Not Arrakis, right? I don't think they've got a lot of termites there, but on Loracus Prime. One of the themes of Enterprise is the awe of discovery, and this plays out beautifully in this opening. They approach a planet that looks very Earth-like. The entire mess hall crowds the windows to look and and talk about it. What do you think? First contact? I don't see any cities or agriculture. Maybe they live underground or in the water. On the bridge, all the crew become more and more impressed as, to Paul, confirms it can support life. It's a Minshara class or M-class planet. Minshara class? Suitable for humanoid life. Archer executes a couple protocols to be sure there's no claim to the planet or other immediate reasons not to land. T'Pol reminds him of the many required and also the recommended surveys and scans that should be completed prior to landing. She explains that these are in place to keep everybody safe. Archer completely dismisses her. How long would all that take? Says there's no need for the surveys. So he pulls together a team and they head to the shuttle. We're not even three minutes into this episode and already, Archer's showing us how not to effectively lead. Look, everybody's understandably super excited. This is the first planet they get to visit on their mission. But Archer feeds into that excitement and blindly shrugs off protocol. Rules out for fools! Rules out for fools! Now don't get me wrong. I'm usually the very first person to try and dance around useless, bureaucratic, non-value added requirements. But there's a difference when they save lives. These are educated, trained professionals. They're aware of some of the limitations of their technology and should immediately know that just jumping onto the surface of the planet could be catastrophic to them. And if the crew doesn't know it, Archer should be reminding them. Now, am I saying they need to do every last survey and scan that DePaul references? Of course not, but they should take some basic precautions. Like when my daughter makes a baking soda volcano, she wears goggles. Does she do that because of all the kids' volcano vision-related tragedies we hear about all the time? No. She does it because it's a basic precaution. Archer should know better. Now, in all fairness, there's a version of this where they visit the planet and everything is super cool. But but if that were the case, there probably wouldn't be an episode about it. If the planet proved to be Minshara class, we would then conduct a geophysical survey from orbit. As they're loading the shuttlecraft, Cutler attempts to bond with DePaul, but yeah, DePaul's not having any of it. This is a cool time. It's before they had any confidence in the transporters, which is totally understandable. Said something about first seeing how it scrambled our molecules. So they head down in a shuttle. Archer's beagle, Porthos, leaps out of the shuttle. 
where no dog has gone before. <laughs> and hey, thank goodness everything is cool on the planet. Like, he didn't immediately react to the vegetation or melt into the ground, have his lungs burnt out by something in the air. Seems like you've dodged a bullet this time, Captain Archer. Hmm. T'Pol immediately begins scanning the area. This is, after all, the 37th Minshara-class planet she's been on. But Archer shuts her down. Take a minute to enjoy yourself. Trip grabs his point-and-shoot camera from his local Best Buy in 2009 to memorialize the occasion. Then they head off in teams to survey the planet as Archer playfully pokes fun at T'Pol. Now, I say playfully because, because I don't believe he has any ill intent. But the problem is any leader's actions speak louder than words or the intent. T'Pol comes from a government that has well, uneasy relations with Earth at this time. Her official role is observer on this mission. Well, this doesn't mean Archer or any of the crew need to like her or even follow her, but at the very least, as a captain in United Earth's Starfleet, he should at the very least be respectful. In reality, he should also should also be friendly and welcoming. Instead, he demonstrates to his crew that it is acceptable to disrespect her, to show that someone who is not as they are, that they are not welcome. And that's just messed up. I mean, as if to drive the point home, Archer's team even just totally ignores the scheduled rendezvous time and T'Pol has to check in with them, to which Archer snidely responds back, Sorry. We lost track of time. When they do all meet up, Paul asks for Cutler and Novakovich to stay on the planet with her overnight. Trip and Mayweather, well, Trip, really, also volunteer to stay overnight and turning this into a camping trip. We we get a campfire scene with Mayweather telling a 22nd century ghost story. Then they head into their tents, but they start hearing, seeing different things. Novakovich is completely convinced that someone is sneaking around the campsite. Trips in his bed and he feels and sees a scorpion-type creature in there. This leads to a uh, rare Star Trek cussing moment. Oh, son of a bitch! What is it? Between this and a horrifying weather system, they decide to head into a cave they found earlier. Hmm, already seems like there might be some stuff here they could have learned with additional scans and maybe following some processes. Hmm. Yeah, well, probably not that big of a deal, right? Up on the ship, Reed drops by Archer's quarters to update him on the survey team and the weather system. Archer greets him by remarking on Reed's water polo potential. Hey, you know what? Archer's a bro, like a total bro. You've probably worked with or maybe even worked for a bro at some point in your life. They go to the gym or play softball or they're really into fantasy football. Do you even live, bro? None of which are bad things on their own own, but it's this next part. And if you also do these things, then you're in. You're in on the jokes. You sit at the same lunch table. You get the interesting jobs. Hmm. We'll test this theory on future episodes, but I think I might have just cracked the Archer code. Hmm. Anyway, Reed updates them. They put a shuttle pod on standby to extract them just in case. To Archer's credit here, before he makes even that decision, he checks in with the survey team. He doesn't just take Reed's update and, and runs with it. He validates the situation. It's important to have as much information as possible before pulling the plug on an operation. Had he just taken the data points from Reed, bad weather system, shuttle pod ready to go, pulled them out from there, they could have missed out on some really valuable data. If you're ever leading a project or you're in a pilot phase, anything like that, this is a really valuable lesson. Don't just go off of a few data points. Get context. Check in with the people actually doing the work. We talked about this back in the fourth episode of the Star 
Starfleet Leadership Academy when Cisco was doing a Gemba walk on the promenade of DS9. On a Gemba walk, you go to where the work is happening. You talk to the people doing the work. This isn't circumventing project leads or other managers. In fact, take them with you. The best way to get the information, data, and context necessary to move forward is to check in with the people doing the thing. Check in with them. Consider all the data presented to you and proceed from there. Back on the planet's surface, Mayweather heads back to the campsite to pick up some supplies that were left there. He sees a small group of people shuffling back into the trees and assumes that Trip and Novakovich came following. But when he learns that no one left the cave, the paranoia starts bubbling up. T'Pol confirms that scans show no humanoid life. And while Travis is questioning her assessment, Novakovich hears noises further back in the cave. He gets right into T'Pol's face, and he also challenges her interpretation of the readings. In an example of one of my biggest complaints or pet peeves with Star Trek, Novakovich immediately panics and runs out of the cave. Now, Starfleet is not a military organization. They say that frequently through the franchise, but they are clearly paramilitary, and they go through rigorous training before ever serving on a starship. This is called out later in the episode, but they run drills on these exact situations. And what is likely when a crewman Novakovich's first experiences in the field, it's understandable he'd get really nervous and that he'd even make some mistakes. What isn't reasonable, at least to me, is that he would immediately forget all of his training in an instant and behave like a civilian that had never been prepared for a situation like this. Travis and Tripp head out after him and T'Pol goes deeper into the cave to confront whatever or whomever Novakovich heard back there. Cutler follows and sees her talking to someone, but T'Pol claims no one was there. While outside the cave, Tripp sees a humanoid creature appear from out of a rock. Travis guesses that rock-based life forms wouldn't have shown up on their scanners. Now I see why you picked this camp. They decide it's too dangerous out there. They return to the cave. They report the new info to Archer, who decides to send the shuttle for him. DePaul disagrees with Trip and claims that the rocks are just rocks. The paranoia starts really kicking in as Cutler claims that DePaul's lying, and Trip jumps right on it and starts laying into her. <laughs> Archer's piloting the shuttle down with Reed. Now, there really are two schools of thought on this. In Star Trek, it's the Kirk versus Picard away team approach. In leadership, I call it the doer versus the empowerer. Not sure if that's an actual word or not. But in the Kirk school of thought, the doer approach, the leader is hands-on, takes on the tough assignments. This provides teachable moments, right? If you're really good at a thing, others can learn through observation. It can also serve as a motivator to staff. It's great to see your boss doing your job, right? Well, that is, unless you're always better than they are, which can really prove to be demotivating. I'd say it can be. It might not, but it certainly can. The Picard approach, or the empowerer school of thought, leans on the strengths of others. Allow them to take on the tough assignments. Will they do as well as you would? Maybe, maybe not, but they will learn from it. It can also demonstrate trust, which is absolutely invaluable. To be perfectly clear here, while I personally have an empowerer bias, neither of these are right or wrong. They're just different schools of thought and different approaches to leading. Archer and Reed try to get the shuttle down, but between the weather system and the damage to the thrusters, Reed warns it's just, it's just not possible. Archer considers this and decides to listen. They abort the the landing attempt and head back to the Enterprise. His advice to the survey team? Try to manage till then. 
Gee, thanks, Cap. Trip immediately starts interrogating T'Pol. He's becoming more and more convinced that T'Pol is not only aware of the rock people, but that she's collaborating with them. Cutler eggs him on. It could be a trap, Commander. On the Enterprise, they've located Novakovich on the surface. They beam him up. And again, these are the early days of transporters, so he ends up coming up with vegetation and debris infused with his skin. He gets rushed to sickbay. Phlox detects a psychotropic compound. When the tooth is found in his blood as he deals with the transporter damage. Reed guesses it wouldn't have been detected by sensors until the wind had picked up. Hmm, maybe that's something they would have caught had they followed T'Pol's advice earlier. Maybe. Well, Flock says the compound should flush out of Novakovich in just a few hours. Trip is really beginning to carry himself like he's getting drunk. The paranoia and conspiracy theories are growing. Even Mayweather is starting to question him. He's beginning to believe the, the, the planet, the survey team, and the overnight stay are all part of a massive Vulcan plot to sabotage the Enterprise's mission. You brought up an interesting thing, is that if reptilians were trying to get into positions of power, they would start off slow and slowly, you know. He works himself into a frenzy and starts shooting his phase pistol at the cave walls. Archer contacts the survey team to update them, but he interrupts a hostage situation. Trip has to pull at phase pistol point and quickly starts rattling off his accusations to Archer. With full knowledge at this point, mind you, he attempts to explain they have been exposed to the psychotropic compound. This says about the same effect as telling a four-year-old to calm down. Archer gets firm and reminds them they went through simulations dealing with this at Starfleet training, right? You dealt with simulations very close to this in Starfleet training. Trip, though, isn't hearing any of it, but he eventually does agree to lower his weapon. Paul states and lets Archer know that she has also been affected, but not quite as much as the others. I said it earlier, but it bears saying again, Charles Tucker III is a command in Starfleet, and his training just flies out the window. Now, look, the compound is super intense, but this continuing theme in Star Trek, it's just bothersome to me, and maybe it's just a pet peeve thing for me, but this is a really good example of watching training fly out the window. Things start really heating up in the cave. T'Pol now is only speaking in Vulcan, and Trip is talking to a Mr. Velik, assuming that's someone from his past he has a lot of respect for. Going on here. Reed, back on the Enterprise, is determined the next available window they'll be able to land the shuttle in will be in nine hours. Phlox calls Archer into sickbay. Novakovich is dying. The psychotropic compound released an undetectable toxin and it's fatal. Phlox is absolutely devastated. He has a hard time talking. He's just so upset. He's questioning all of his choices. If I'd run a submolecular scan, I might have anticipated the complication, but there was no reason to. I can't tell you how sorry I am, Captain. This is really beautiful compassion from the ship's doctor. And Archer lets a leadership moment pass as he immediately asks about the others. He doesn't even acknowledge Phlox's feelings, his honesty, or his self-doubt. Man, Archer... Archer's, he's really upsetting me here. Yeah, I mean, he, he he must know what this means for the survey team, but at least acknowledge the crushed person in front of you. Fox, you did what needed to be done. Or, I know this hurts. Novakovich is a good man. Something like that. And then ask about the others. But he just marches past the soul of a person that is watching someone under their care die. Fox tries to answer him, but Archer just rips him up. I've got four people down on the surface, Doctor. He even pauses and looks back at him before leaving sickbay. He knew, he knows he screwed up. He knew it and he refused to act on it. The scene closes with a close-up on Phlox basically questioning every decision he has made in his entire life. Unbelievable. Archer 1, emotional intelligence 0.
Archer calls down to the survey team. DePaul tells him that Trip is irrational and that Cutler and Mayweather are now unconscious. Archer ignores this key piece of information and talks about the toxin that Flox discovered. But he also has a good update. Flox and Reed have put together an inoculation that they'll be beaming down. Trip gets upset, says injections won't change anything, and DePaul continues to speak only in Vulcan. Hoshi, who's fluent in Vulcan, passes the message on to Archer that DePaul believes that Trip is about to kill her. Archer tries to reason with Trip, because yeah, that's really been super effective so far. But this is good. Then he uses a really good tactic. He tells a story of a time in the past when they were in a dangerous situation. Remember when your EV pack froze up on Titan? During the Omega training mission? You got nitrogen narcosis. You started to try to take off your helmet. You remember what I'm talking about? Archer ordered Trip to do a thing that he didn't want to, but he did, and he ended up surviving. He's using past experiences, past shared experiences, to effectively shortcut his way to trust. He desperately needs Trip to listen to him, to trust him, and do the thing that he's telling him to do. His life depends on it. Using a past experience to prove a current experience, especially in a crisis like this, can be really effective. This isn't a tool to be abused, though. It does not build long-term or sustainable trust, but but sometimes you, you just need it for that moment. Real flash of brilliance from Archer here. But in this case, it, it didn't work. Trip begins seeing more and more rock people. He's feeling absolutely overwhelmed. Archer commands that the inoculations are beamed down while he tells a story to Trip. He flips the script and he says that he, Archer, needs to trust Trip. All right, Trip. This is a major breach of security, but I'm going to have to trust you. He actually, he leans into Tripp's delusion. He validates a lot of his paranoia. He explains that T'Pol was supposed to be there alone and then bakes up a scenario where he needs to drop the phase pistol and trust T'Pol. He uses a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few scenario as assurance that he has everything under control and will destroy the rock people before allowing harm to come to the Enterprise. Then he has Hoshi communicate something to T'Pol and Vulcan. She says play acting isn't exactly a Vulcan tradition, but she'll do her best. And it works. T'Pol stuns Trip with her phase pistol as planned. Now, I really don't know how I feel about this. Like, I really like the first part where he says that he has to trust Trip instead of trying to convince Trip to trust him. But from there, I don't know. Like, to be honest, I've never been in orbit around a planet when two of my most senior officers are stuck in a standoff as hallucinogenic psychotropic compounds build up in their bloodstream. I know, I know, that's probably pretty surprising to most of you, but I guess an analogy, oh gosh, I think an analogy that I could probably think of would be, well, a, a high stakes negotiation. But even in that scenario, gosh, I just don't, I don't like the idea of leaning into psychosis or, or a lie. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe this, let me, let me try this. If you've ever had to perform an investigation on employee behavior, you know that many stories get told. There are times you're interviewing someone and it is clear they're not being honest. In fact, you have a mountain of evidence that disproves most everything they're saying. Now, you can cut them off right away, tell them you know they're lying, and demand honesty. That is a straightforward way of dealing with that. In fact, it's, it's really honest. I don't think it's very effective, though, at least not in my experience. In fact, this will often lead to the person just shutting down completely, or it'll back them into a corner. And now you're not just questioning their work behavior or their performance, you're questioning their integrity. You are questioning their honesty. No, instead, maybe you lean into their version of the story a little bit. You ask clarifying questions, you take a Socratic approach and seek that kernel of truth. 
truth. After you've effectively questioned them, you'll either have the information you need to proceed with your investigation, validating their untruths and potentially adding to the list of grievances, or ideally, they realize you know more than they thought and they come clean with you. Okay, <laughs> that was kind of rough and maybe it wasn't the best analogy. Seriously though, what, what do you think about this one? Is it ever okay to buy into someone's delusion? Is it more okay if it achieves a greater good? Hmm, maybe this is one for the Starfleet Philosophy Academy. With Trip stunned, T'Pol grabs the inoculations and administers them. She even ends up having to hit Mayweather with a Vulcan nerve pinch as he impotently resists. This keeps him calm enough to sleep through the night. They wake up, and T'Pol reminds them of the hallucinations. When the truth is found. She even spills the beans about Archer's story he cooked up. Trip accepts it and apologizes to T'Pol. He then quotes Mr. Velik from earlier. Challenge your preconceptions or they'll challenge you. Great advice from a 10th grade biology teacher. In fact, it is incredible advice. What preconceptions do you have? Today, we often call these biases, and they come in all kinds of flavors, right? Implicit bias, unconscious bias, institutional bias, systemic bias. The list goes on and on. Our preconceptions, our biases, color everything we do, from the food we eat, to the shows we watch, to how we treat people. Anytime you act, the decision was likely influenced or or fueled by a bias. What separates a leader from others, or to quote the Bene Gesserit, a human from an animal, this one kills only animals, is the ability to pause and identify the bias, the preconception. And then, as Mr. Velik taught his high school biology students, challenge your bias, or it will challenge you. Tripp talks through his journey of identifying a bias that clearly still affects him. You see, Mr. Velik was a Vulcan, and the very first Vulcan Tripp had ever seen up close. Tripp admits he was scared of him. He doesn't say this out loud, but I have to assume that he's running that thought against his experiences with Paul, specifically his outbursts at her when he was under the influence. Over time, if he continues to challenge this bias, he can change it. Our minds are absolutely amazing. Yes, they can learn new tricks. The shuttle pod arrives to pick him up. Turns out Novakovich is going to be fine. They head back to Enterprise for another adventure. Hopefully next time they uh, listen to T'Pol and run maybe a few tests before leaping out of a shuttle and onto a planet. <laughs> And that's the third episode of Enterprise. Well, fourth, really, but Broken Bow was kind of one episode. Anyway, I digress. So part of my process in preparing for this podcast is to watch the episode at least twice. Once just to watch it and the second time to take notes. I didn't immediately remember this episode when I first watched it. And as it progressed, I was like, oh, please do not be a drugged and paranoid episode. And well, that's what it was. But it was really okay for what it was. What I really liked about this episode was the character development. I have a growing fondness for Phlox. What a great and personifying moment for him in this episode. Through all of television, but specifically Star Trek, we're pretty numb to the lesser known characters dying off. I mean, there are two entire sections of popular culture dedicated to that. And not just like Trek culture, but all of pop culture. Everybody knows what a red shirt is. <laughs> in fact, uh, Pages even auto-corrected that spelling for me. And of course, he's dead, Jim. But Phlox 
Flocks. Flocks was visibly devastated by even the possibility of losing a patient. It was really refreshing. We get to meet Crewman Cutler. Uh, we learn there's more to Malcolm Reed than just shooting stuff. And we get some history on Trip. And we really uncover more of the friction and hostility between humans and Vulcans. This was a good character and world building episode. Command codes verified. Oof. Okay. Let, let, let's get the good stuff out of the way first. And we're going to look at both to Paul and Trip in addition to Archer here. First, to Paul. She's not necessarily sitting in a leadership role at this point in the series. She's playing more of your business or policy analyst. Captain, the rule book says, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, that can really be annoying, but it's but it's honestly necessary. We all just watched an entire episode that wouldn't have even existed if Archer had just listened to her and run the tests and sensor sweeps she reminded him that protocol called for. I mean, people almost died and all of that could have been avoided if the leader would have just listened to their wonk. And a wonk is someone who's hardworking and studious. Trip teaches a subtle but valuable lesson at the end of this episode, and his lesson is a hallmark of strong leadership. Apologize. Apologize sincerely. Accept feedback. Know you can do better. Even Archer had some good stuff in here. Hmm. Let me sift through my notes really quick and see. see I, oh, yeah, here we go. So he consults with his team before making decisions. We talked about this with Kirk in Where No Man Has Gone Before, but in this case, Archer consults with the team on the scene. I mentioned this being similar to a Gemba walk, a tool used in Lean Six Sigma. You cannot rely on reports and data points alone to make decisions, and there's very little out there more valuable than actually watching the work be done. He also leans on his relationships. He makes attempts to connect with Reed by sharing his love of water polo, and he uses his relationship with Trip to ultimately save the day. Had anyone else been in charge at that point, it's doubtful Trip would have listened long enough to let them pull off the plan they'd come up with. And then, <sighs> so much bad. In Broken Bow, I established that Archer is a micromanager. He gets aggressive with his crew and he thrusts himself into the hero role. In Strange New World, there isn't really the micromanagement, but the need to be a hero is still present and the aggression is off the charts. I mean, why not let Reed pilot the shuttle? Or in a question that applies to Kirk as much as anyone, why even go on the mission? Now I've said it here, now, even though I've mentioned it, I'm not gonna really hold it against him in this case. In fact, I mean, even when he's doing it, he immediately responds to Reed's advice and he heads back to the ship. But his aggression, when Phlox was thinking Novakovich was about to die, Archer's behavior was inexcusable. Yes, there were four people, four crew members on the planet's surface and time was critical, but it literally would have taken five seconds just to acknowledge Phlox's feelings. An effective leader uses empathy when interacting with their teams. Archer utterly failed to do this and what, and what kills me, absolutely kills me, is that Archer knows he screwed up. Phlox is melting into the floor as Archer leaves. He pauses. He looks back, says nothing, and then leaves. I would desperately hope that someone leading humanity into the great unknown of the galaxy would at least have the emotional intelligence to own his mistake. He was understandably emotional. I, I would have expected him to do, to do something, but he did nothing. And the bottom line to the entire episode, had Archer simply listened to T'Pol at the beginning, no one would have been put in harm's way. His biases, his preconceived notions and personal feelings toward one single person put five individuals at extreme risk. This is our second outing with Captain Archer and both in the first season of Enterprise. So far, 
So far, I am wildly unimpressed with him. He has proven himself thus far someone I would not put in a leadership position. We can hope over time that he develops, but at this point in his growth as a leader, I can only hope Earth doesn't find itself the target of a vastly advanced race from an unexplored region of the galaxy. Okay, accountability time. I cannot wait to hear what you thought. Am I completely overreacting to Archer's behavior? Or do you agree with me? What do you think of my assumption of his bro mentality? You can reach me across all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T as in Tinker, A-K-I-N. You can use the hashtag SFLA for Starfleet Leadership Academy to keep the conversation going. And hey, if you've enjoyed the Starfleet Leadership Academy, please share it with a friend or someone that you think could benefit from it. All right, now let's see what we're watching next time. Working. Meridian from the third season of Deep Space Nine. Oof, I like this one. Looking forward to it. And until then, ex asterisk scientia. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.